0: Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. Oh, we got stuff today, don't we? Yesterday, UFC 286. That was a card. Uh, Ups and downs, we'll go over that. We have an event to preview because we have a darn good main event this coming Saturday. The rest of the card is a little bit meh. Uh, a little bit meh. But, uh, main event is solid. I would put that up against anything. Really, it's that good. So we'll be previewing that and news of the week, all per usual. Um, oh. As part of my boilerplate. It is Mother's Day in the UK, as I record this. So, if I happen to be... If any of my listeners happen to be in the UK, and... I don't know, maybe you are. Uh... Do something nice for your mom. Or if you are a mother, which I find statistically unlikely, but on the chance that you are, happy Mother's Day for those in the UK. Do something nice for your moms. shouldn't need an excuse. All right. (laughs) So there's that. Uh, All the usual boilerplate, of course. Please do like, comment, subscribe. It helps a great deal. Star rating, written review, whatever is applicable on your podcast platform of choice. If you've done any and all of that, please share. Or if you'd rather not do any and all of that and would just like to share, you know what? I'll take it. Uh, It all helps the algorithm. The all-consuming Lovecraftian monstrosity that will soon enough control the world. And I'd rather not be targeted for termination that early, if at all possible. Uh, Yeah, that's it for that. Alrighty. I believe that's all the preamble so let's go ahead and jump right into it shall we UFC 286 started pretty early actually for me uh, yeah it started 10:30 my time uh, they wanted it to be prime time in the UK fair enough uh, yeah so main event for the UFC welterweight title Leon Edwards defeats Kamaru Usman via majority decision 248 46 is 147 47 you might be asking yourself how did we arrive at this there was uh there was a point deducted from leon edwards in the third round yeah third round um look leon Edwards is not a historically dirty fighter but uh he was he did not have the best of times following all the rules for those first couple of rounds. There was a low blow, which kind of just happened because they were opposite stances briefly and the inside leg kick. It goes up, it hits the groin, it happens. Not great, but it does kind of happen. He was grabbing the glove, like inside of the cuff of the glove, while hand fighting at one point and very clearly doing so. And the final straw for the referee was a fence grab. Usman... Hits a brief takedown. Edwards builds back up. Usman gets to his back standing. Usman goes for a mat return, and Edwards just grabs the fence and doesn't go down. So the ref takes a point, which, entirely fair. So that's why we got some slightly awkward scores at various points there. Uh, So again, no problems with the point deduction, but that's why we got some weird scores. Um, my scorecard, I might have done the math wrong at some point. I gave, um, Edwards the first. I gave Usman the second. I went to a draw in the third, and I believe I gave, uh, Edwards four and five. So that's where my scorecard was. Uh, officially, let me double check the official scorecards here. Because I want to make sure I... Because I saw these earlier. I want to make sure I get it right here. So we had for judges Ben Cartlidge, Chris Lee, and David Letheby. That was fine. How did most places have it? There were only two places that scored it for Usman. And that... Sorry, this is MMA decision. So it's, you know, take it for what it's worth. Um, most were either a draw or Edwards. More Edwards than draw. Though... So, Again, a draw is not out of the question here. Um, if you gave Usman the third, that would become 10-8. So really, needs to do is win one other round and then... Um, so officially, I'm taking a look at Cartledge here. Cartledge gave Edwards 1, 2, and 5, with 3 being a draw. Perfectly acceptable. Lee went... All Lee gave Edwards 1, 2, 4, and 5, but gave Usman 3, so that became a 10-8. And then Letheby, who had the draw, gave Edwards 1, Usman 2, and 3, then Edwards 4 and 5. So, these are all perfectly valid scores. Um, round 2, again, I gave it to Usman, could have gone to Edwards... Round four, again, I gave to Edwards. Could have gone to Usman. At round one, like rounds one and five, I think, are the easiest. Like Those are Edwards without all that much difficulty. Uh, you know, how you scored round three in particular, again, that. You could have gone either way on that one. So Edwards kind of, again, I don't want to say dodged a bullet here with the point deduction because... At worst, it was going to be a draw, and he still retains the title. But he, him being a little bit wild in that early bit, um, in that respect, like, that could have cost him. That could have cost him big. But how did the fight itself play out? Um, I did a, I did a thing a few a couple of years ago ahead of the first fight between Usman and uh, Covington. Where I did kind of a skill study on both of them. And I came away from Kamar Usman at the time. Now, this is before their first fight. So before he's really kind of honed in some of his striking with Trevor Whitman and everything. But I think even his striking falls into the same general paradigm that I'm going to reference here. Um, Usman succeeds when he is the one controlling the fight. And I don't just mean they're fighting on his terms. I mean he controls it. Sometimes that's controlling the striking. Whether that's distance, timing, whatever. Sometimes that's physical control in the clinch. Sometimes that's controlling whether or not he wants to be at distance or, again, tied up on the mat. But he has to be the one that dictates things. When he's not dictating things, that's when stuff goes sideways for him. And that hasn't happened very often, but it has happened. And this fight in particular, um, I think the most impressive thing about what Leon Edwards did, and I'll talk about how in a minute or two, but on a bigger picture thing, Leon Edwards took away everything that makes Kamaru Usman great. Kamaru a great fighter. He is no... He is no worse than the second best welterweight the UFC has ever seen. That's kind of where I had him. He had this ridiculous winning streak. He had these title defenses. For a while, he was kind of a boring fighter. And he adjusted. Became more of a threat. He's... He's, again, a great fighter. So when I say... Edwards took away all that stuff. That's not easy. But there's a handful of things that Edwards did that really diminished Kamaru Usman. And it's a really... Again, it's a really impressive performance when you start looking at it. Um, some of the big things. So, okay. Here's maybe the biggest thing. Um, Kamaru Usman throughout the entire 25 minutes of this fight is credited with a whopping five minutes and three seconds of control time. That's it. He was four of 15 on takedowns. Now, that's not, that's worse than usual, but Usman's takedown accuracy is I'd say it's never been because that's really not what I mean. It's never been the end of the world if he gets stuffed, because his accuracy was usually pretty high. Four of fifteen, like being being right around the twenty-five percent mark, that's low. And how they re- how they kind of mark what counts as a takedown attempt and what doesn't is a little bit wonky. Like, it's not always clear to me that. <laughs> Some of the stuff they're categorizing as a takedown attempt should qualify, but... I mean, prior to... We'll talk about the co-main event later, but... Prior to this fight, they had credited Justin Gagey with one takedown attempt. And it wasn't. Like, I think they, they counted it from the Eddie Alvarez fight. And that was just... No, he got hurt and dropped and he was reaching for the legs. Like, yeah, that's a takedown attempt. Not really. Uh, so... They don't, they don't differentiate between genuine takedown attempts and takedown attempts that are designed to serve a secondary purpose. Sometimes you fake it to set up a punch. that a real takedown attempt. Sometimes you're not really shooting it. You're just trying to make contact and then come up in the clinch, which is perfectly valid. And So, again, like it doesn't quite tell the full story, but 4 of 15 for Usman is relatively low. Uh, Usman attempted a lot of strikes, but his accuracy was way down. He's usually a fairly accurate striker. Uh, he was way down in this one. He landed total strikes, mind you. 113 of 232. Like, below 50% is low for him. He's usually better about shot selection, distance, getting you against the fence, and kind of laying them in. Um,. Didn't have that many on the ground. Again, there was almost none. Almost none of this fight was on the ground. Almost none. But his control time was, again, shot. Uh, So, again, what makes Usman really good? He's good about pressuring you. It's not not crazy pressure. Again, it's not the nutty, all-out, all-the-time action pressure. But he is in your face and he pushes you to the fence and that's where he does his best work. Usman's best work is done against the fence. Now that's whether that's you shelling up and him throwing punches at you or in the or him getting to the clinch and taking you down or just in the clinch in general for control and wear down purposes, like whatever it happens to be. He you against the fence is really where he shines. And that had been a problem for Edwards, not just against Usman, but kind of in general, for a long time in his career. His, it's not just footwork, there's some, like, minutiae to footwork that kind of gets lumped in in general with footwork. It's really like, in boxing it's ring craft, so I suppose you could call it cage craft, but for the sake of ease, ring craft. He was not always great about his positioning within the cage, and... Being aware of that. And so, again, people lump that in with footwork because it's how you move. And, well, again, it kind of, but... Eh, it's it's a very, very broad category that isn't always helpful. When you say, so My how's my footwork? Well, what do you mean? Are you bringing your feet together before you step out? Are you crossing your feet as you're circling? You know, are you always out of range? Are you entering range with your feet? Or is it this, you know... Your positioning around the ring, the knowledge about where you are relative to the cage wall, etc., etc., stuff like that. So it's a very broad category. So when you say, you know, his footwork wasn't great, well, there's a handful of things about Edwards' footwork that did need refinement. The big one was positioning within the cage. And he fixed that. It's not that he never gets there in this fight. He never stays there. Watch their second fight. He is constantly getting pushed into the fence. And Usman is able to do work from there. Not here. Not here at all. Anytime he gets towards the fence, very good about angling off. Anytime Usman tries to clinch, dude, his clinch breaking in this. Not just the hand fighting to stop Usman from ever getting his hands together. That was very impressive too, by the way. But... Exiting the clinch in and of itself is a very important skill. Being able to constantly get out of the clinch of Kamaru Usman, who is as strong as an ox, like, that takes skill. He was, he he knew where he did not want to be. And he did everything he could to get out of those positions. Um, Here's the big thing for me. If we look at Leon Edwards and we look at some of his targeting um Usman was mostly head hunting like sixty five percent of the stuff he threw was to the head twenty seven body six percent leg that's and that's kind of normal for him he does he'll go to the body when he's got you against the fence you kind of shell up, he'll dig some body shots or if you're in the clinch, he's pretty good about finding them, but generally it's he's a head hunter <clears throat> is what it is. Edwards is very interesting, actually, for this fight. (laughs) Only 28% of his total strikes went to the head. He actually targeted the head the least of anything. 30% to the body, 41% to the leg. He landed... um, Edwards landed like 50 leg kicks in this fight. That was a weapon that he hadn't been able to use in either of their previous meetings. Either for fear of being taken down or just always being on the back foot. It's, it's hard to kick while you're moving backwards. Not impossible, but it's really hard. It's why most, even if you're a counter-striker and you like to kick, you like to be a, a pressure counter-fighter instead of a retreating counter-fighter. It's really hard. So he finally got to use some of those, and he caused Usman problems. Usman came out southpaw, which was an interesting look for him. I, I don't know if it was just to try to deal with the head head kick, which he was very keen in, keyed into. Uh, I mean, Colby Covington mentioned something as well. And it's interesting with Covington, like once you're in on the joke, like when you understand the persona, uh, you can start to kind of see when he's doing shtick and when he's being sincere. And he blends the two. But he mentioned something about his post-fight thing, right? So after the fight, I'll get to this later. up. Well, I won't, but after the fight, you know, he's talking in the back with Megan O'Leavy and he says Usman came out, you know, southpaw and that because Edwards has had trouble with them. And I think there's some truth to that. You know, again, Edwards adjusted to how Usman was fighting southpaw with some you know, leg kicks and he was landing those a lot. Once, once Usman kind of went more orthodox, he still threw a lot of leg kicks. Um, some of those were side kicks to the knee. Some of them were oblique kicks. It's just a really good tool for keeping someone like Usman at the distance you want to keep him at. And it, it bothered Usman. Like he had a, never in like a fight-ending kind of way, but there were a few times when he get hit with some of them and his forward pressure would kind of stop for a minute or two. Like his, I wouldn't be surprised if his leg's a little jacked up. Uh, the body work from Usman was pretty good. He was landing some nice body kicks. Uh, this was just a really exceptional example of neutralizing everything your opponent does. I mean, Edwards didn't throw as much. Edwards' total strikes, he threw 164. Again, Usman threw 232. But... Edwards landed more. He landed 123. And he's land- again like the percentage, your accuracy percentage here. Usman's hitting at 42%, so he's missing more than he's hitting. Edwards is landing at 74%. Like if you're if you're landing three out of every four punches you throw or kicks or whatever, that's real good. Like you're doing a lot of stuff right there. Um, yeah, he had 50 leg kicks. Uh Usman just, he really struggled to get going, and uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of it. This is one of those fights, uh, by the way, I, I know I picked Usman last week. By the time these two squared off and we got through the first round, I went, yeah, Ed, I said I wouldn't be surprised if Edwards wins, but like after that first round, it was kind of like, Edwards has this. And I didn't feel that way in the first fight for a very specific reason, actually. If you rewatch the first round of their first title fight, not their first first fight, that was a one-sided shellacking. Edwards wins the first round, but if you look at how he does it, he's pressured back, he gets clinched, they fight there for a little bit, and he surprises Usman with an outside trip. Usman gives up the back, and Usman just kind of punched the round. Like, all right, you got my back. I'll hand fight. If you let me escape, I will. If not, whatever. I'll get back on the horse. We'll be back to work in the second round. And that's a very legitimate way to win a round, mind you. But he won that round based on, yes, his skill, but a little bit more, I think, the shock factor. You know, the there's a couple of things that... You can get away with, and I don't mean get away with like, oh, you know, you're breaking the rules or anything, but I'll give you a couple of examples. If you watch grappling exchanges, especially in MMA, the first time you Granby roll, it'll work almost every time. Like the percentage, the the success percentage on the first Granby roll you attempt is. I would imagine around 90 percent or higher. First one works. That second one, not so much. Third, fourth, like it, it, there's very diminishing returns on that one. I think, and it's because you're not quite expecting it. Once you know it's coming, well, it stops working. You know, Superman punches are kind of the same way. Like the first time you throw it, you might surprise somebody, but after that, uh, it again, it just it doesn't quite maintain its efficacy. I'm not saying that the outside trip Leon Edwards hit is a goofy, gimmicky technique. It's very fundamentally sound. But I guarantee Usman was not expecting it. And that's on Usman. Because Edwards never hits it again. And I think that's why. I think, oh, he surprised him, which is valid. And speaks to the skill of Edwards, because it wasn't random. But it wasn't really repeatable. And the fight kind of got back to the way it had been going. First round here. Everything about Leon's success is very deliberate. And is very well schooled. Is very well thought out. It's. He wins that first round. Not based on skillful opportunism. Let's call it. Which is again. Not an insult. That's valid but based on the careful, specific application of deliberate study and game planning. Again, look at everything that makes Usman good. Great. And look at how Edwards took all of it away. All of it. I'm not. Usman landed a couple of good punches. I think the second round he landed a pretty decent right hand. But he couldn't sustain it he couldn't get control. He could never dictate the striking terms. He could never really corral Edwards. He couldn't punish him for the kicks, reliably. He couldn't get him down. He couldn't keep him down. He couldn't keep him pinned on the fence. And if he can't do any of that, and bear in mind, this is all, we're already talking like a relatively layered game plan, right? Like, that's not, I'm not talking about, oh, no, you know, if he can't get, if, it's not like I'm I'm going to reference a fighter here and I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. But this isn't a Damien Maya thing. Well, if Damien Maya can't force you to grapple with him, he can't win, which is kind of true. Like this isn't, oh, no, Usman can't get a takedown. Therefore, he can't win. That's not Usman's game. Might have been for a time. Not anymore. Usman's game at this point is layered. But, if you break it down to a handful of fundamental things, if he can't get you against the fence consistently, his striking suffers, because it's not as good in open space. Not saying bad, not as good. If he can't pressure into you, he can't, yeah, that means he can't corral you. That means he can't clinch you safely. And... So between the leg kicks and circling of Edwards that kept Usman at a distance he wasn't really comfortable and kept them in the geography of the cage in places that were good for Edwards, or at least not good for Usman, couple that with his excellent hand fighting and clinch breaking and his wall walking, and you've kind of neutered most of Usman's game. Now, you still have to find your own offense and everything, and he did, but... Like, look at this fight if you want to know how to beat Kamaru Usman. Look at what you have to take away from him. Uh, this is a... Re- like, again, the head kick that Edwards landed in the second round was not a fluke. He had trained for that, he had drilled for that, it just took a while to find the opening he was looking for. And it... Again, not an accident. But... A definite aberration given how the fight was going. This fight, the opposite of that. The absolute opposite. Edwards won pretty much everything in this fight. Because he was... Because, again, the careful application of a well-thought-out, well-established game plan to just take away everything that Usman does. And my hats off to him, man. This was a stellar performance in that respect from Leon Edwards. Absolutely stellar. Um, where do we go from here becomes a little bit interesting. So Dana White announced, well, Colby Covington weighed in as the backup for the main event in case anything happened to either guy. Kind of explains why he'd been so quiet recently. You know, if he's in, if he's training for that, then okay. Apparently, it was also a little bit of a last-minute thing. He had to cut a fair amount of weight. I think he mentioned it was uh, non-trivial. It was over 10 pounds. Say 18, I think. I forget exactly, but he cut a chunk of weight to make weight as the backup. And if he'd been like, if he had like, you know, a decent training camp, it wouldn't have been that much. So he weighed in as the backup, and you know, uh, Edwards was asked about him. At the, in his post-fight interview, and he dismissed him. Said, you know, the guy hasn't fought in a year. I'd rather wait and see what happens in Miami, referencing uh, the upcoming fight between Jorge Masvidal and Gilbert Burns. Uh, he, he just, you know, no, you won one fight. Uh, you know, he beat Masvidal however long ago. Again, about a year. Maybe a year and a half. I have to double-check specifically, but it doesn't matter. And he said, no, I... We have other deserving contenders, and I think that's I think that's more pressing and fair enough. But even as champion, you don't get a lot of say in this kind of stuff. And Dana White said, yeah, Colby Covington's next. Now, that's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? He would not be my choice under the circumstances. Now, you can go a few different ways. First of all, in a couple of weeks, we're getting Burns and Mosvidal. You could look if Burns wins, I'd be fine with that. You're going to tell me you don't want to watch Gilbert Burns and Leon Edwards? That'd be great. If Mosvidal wins, big if, and I actually don't like his chances, but if he and Edwards have history, if you'll recall, um, the again, if you'll recall, they have history. So, there's that. Uh, you've got, I would argue, if if you want to talk purely like who's won the most, who deserved the title shot, it's Bilal Muhammad. He's on, I think, the longest winning streak. His last fight with Edwards went to a no contest. I mean, Edwards, I said this, man, Edwards at the time. Edwards put a pretty serious beating on Bilal Muhammad for that round and change before the eye poke. Like, that was not going Muhammad's way. Doesn't mean he can't adjust and do better this time. But that night, man, um, he dodged a bullet. Like, the no contest coming out of that, he dodged a bullet because that was not at all going his way. (laughs) But... He's done nothing but win since then, you know, for a long time. And he's probably the most deserving. Instead, it looks like the UFC is trying to work on him versus Shafkat Rachmanov, which... Dude, that just sucks for Bilal Muhammad. I mean, I'm not exactly his biggest fan, all things considered. But to have done everything he's done and for the reward to be fight this guy... That just kind of sucks. There's I, I, no other way to say it. That just sucks. Um, now, we had all been kind of wondering, like, you know, there's a somewhat invisible elephant in the room about what's up with Kamzat Shemaev. Because if he's still at welterweight, he's a factor. Again, for whatever Dana's word is worth on this issue, and your individual mileage will vary, uh, they're gonna he's gonna fight at middleweight and they're looking at him fighting a relatively high ranked middleweight. So Kamjot at the moment is out of the welterweight picture. That clears things up a little bit. Um, again, this is not this is not kinda my favorite iteration of how the of how things could have gone. I mean, look, if you want uh, Colby is a needle mover. Right, I mean there was a there was a fight earlier in the card between which one was it? Um, remember the fight properly. Yeah, it was Jennifer Maya and Casey O'Neill, and kind of towards the end of the first round, there's this swell of noise from the crowd, and it's not really because of the fight which is an okay fight again. We'll get to it in a second or two here. But there was nothing going on in the cage that really kind of warranted that, the loud reaction, and one of the commentators said, uh, you know, and yeah, Colby Covington just walked in. Like People saw him and recognized him. People love to hate that guy. And fair play to him for you know, creating the persona or exaggerating his personality to the extent that he got over like this to use pro wrestling parlance and look he's a needle mover and Bilal Muhammad isn't now I'm a meritocratic guy as a general rule and I would rather see Muhammad get the title shot I think he's earned it and I'm there's not there are worse things in the world than this but one of the worst things if you do everything right to earn something and it is arbitrarily taken away from you, like, that, that's one of the worst feelings in the world. And Muhammad's done everything you could reasonably ask of him. He's won. He's done nothing but win. Like, it should be him. Straight up. (laughs) And, unfortunately, he's going to wind up fighting the up-and-coming killer that I think is an inevitable champion in that division in Shavkat Rachmanov. I mean, you knew someone was going to draw the short straw here. I mean, Someone had to. You just, You do kind of hope that at some point the UFC takes a bit more seriously their claim about the best fighting the best. And that's not a knock on Colby, mind you but he's been out for a while i mean some of that's not his fault and it it just doesn't quite feel like he should be the one here you know in a lot of respects now early odds makers are actually favoring covington and to be honest i see it not saying i would i don't know how i'm going to pick on that one i've got to think about that assuming the fight happens but uh, look, I would favor Edwards over Muhammad without too much hesitancy. I would favor Edwards over either Gilbert Burns or Jorge Masvidal at this point. Uh, I would—he's uh, like, that good. He's a—he is the deserving champion. The issue he might run into here again, and this is not about disrespecting the champion. At least not for me. For some people, it might be. This is about how do these two match up stylistically. And Covington presents some problems for Edwards that I, we're not sure how he deals with. Right. First, there's the Southpaw thing. Which is not the biggest thing in the world, but it's a thing. The clinch-breaking he Edwards showed here will be a problem for Covington. But Covington's pace, and this is something Usman doesn't do a whole lot of. Usman has good takedowns, but he's not an explosive wrestler. And some of that's to do with his knees. They're just kind of beat up. He doesn't shoot a lot of doubles. Um, He tends to work a lot out of the clinch or grabbing the single leg if you're close enough. And that's fine. Like this is a strategic choice. But he doesn't really transition back and forth between a whole lot of attacks as a general rule. Covington does. And that's a problem for Edwards. And I think the pace could be a problem for him as well. He he got tired he get a little tired in this fight. Like they both did. Like this wasn't the craziest paced fight, but they weren't they weren't sitting around either. Like and we know Covington has an absurd motor and that could be a problem. So, I can see why you might favor Covington in that fight. Uh, again, I don't know if I would, but I know why you might. So, that's what's next there. We don't know what's next for Usman. He wants to get back to fighting in the near in the very near future and get back to the title picture. He's fought a lot of guys. He's fought a lot of guys in this division. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter suggest... A, in fact, it might have been... I saw Stephen Thompson respond to it. So, maybe him and Stephen Thompson might make sense. I mean, Thompson is, you know, not at the prime of his physical career anymore. And, I mean, Usman's 35, almost 36. Like, he's not exactly a spring chicken. But that fight, that might be the one to make. It's one of the few, like, they haven't fought. It's one of the few fights up there that Usman, that's not a rematch for Usman, so. That's a thought. But that was it, again. Solid, a really, really good performance out of Leon Edwards. A thorough performance. A very calculated, very systematic, just dismantling of Usman's game. So heck of a performance good first title defense curious to see how far he goes with this very curious because he's shown a lot of ability all right co-main event oh this was great Um, Justin Gagey defeats Raphael Fizzi via majority decision 229 28s for Gagey and then a 28 28 which I think is okay can we talk for just a second here There's a judge in particular we have to discuss, if you'll permit me. We need to talk about old Paul Sutherland. Now, he turned in a 28-28 here, giving Faziv the first two rounds, which is not out of the question, mind you. And then giving Gagey a 10-8 third, which I don't understand in the slightest. Look, full, okay, uh, full disclosure, I was 29-28 Gagey. You could easily go 29-28 That second round was, to my mind, the second round was the swing round. But one of the judges gave Gagey the first. Um, which I don't agree with at all. Uh, but that 10-8 third, that's rough. Like, that's, that, I don't get that at all. Uh, Mr. Sutherland uh, had some other had some other weird scores um, the same night mind you he was part he was um, he had four assignments for UFC 286 turned in a weird scorecard in Gagey and fazive he gave Marvin Vittori all three rounds against Roman DeLidze, and we'll talk about that fight when we get to it, I promise. That's bogus. Uh, Vittori did not win the first. And in an earlier fight between Chris Duncan and Omar Morales, which I think most reasonable people had 29-28 for Duncan. I think that's what I had. He was 30-27. For Omar Morales, the only scorecard he turned in all night that was acceptable was uh, Veronica Hardy defeating Julianne Miller. Um, somebody needs to make sure this guy's on his meds. Like, this is ridiculous. You should not, like, he should have been pulled after that 30-27 for Morales. Like, we should have been like, okay, nope. You are, you are not all here, man. This is, no, this is no good. Um, just, just terrible scores from him all night. Pretty much, just terrible. Uh, So, with that out of the way, this fight ruled... <laughs> um i picked fazeev here last week and i'm not mad at myself for picking this one wrong but by the time we got through by the time we got into the third round i knew i was gonna be wrong i like, guess everything was kind of going that way I was like yeah all right to fazeev's credit um he showed off a a lot of good things here about his game. His combination work, which is pretty solid. He was using it differently here than he has in the past, but that's because of who he was fighting. His hand speed. Um, Faziv's hand speed is ridiculous. That guy is so fast. Now, what got him in trouble as the fight wore on was that Gagee got started timing him and timing's more important than raw speed but man his hands are fast just really fast he was aggressive he's a dynamic striker again kind of going back and forth uh, he's got good kicks these two chopped each other's legs up Fazeev landed some nasty body kicks <clears throat> but they fought at a pace and Gaethje kind of makes you do this sometimes, that I don't think Fazeev could sustain. And he slowed down a little bit as this wore on. And that little bit was enough for Gaethje to really kind of start going to work in the second and third. Um, here's the other thing about this fight, if you're for Justin Gaethje, Uh Trevor Whitman had pretty clearly, had a pretty clear understanding of Fazeev's strengths you can see even when Faziv is successful early, there's a handful of things that he does a lot, and everybody has these kind of things. One of the things Faziv does well, he fights orthodox, so he throws a lead leg body kick, and then follows it up with a right hook. So he kind of pushes you into the power shot, and it's a, it's a nice little combination. But watch the first couple of times he throws it. Gagey is ready for it and reacting to it. Uh, he was very dialed in on Faziv's tendencies. Uh, again, the Gagey calf kicks were on display. It took him a little bit to start finding them. Uh, Faziv was kind of mindful of his leg for a bit. But he did land them, and oof, those were not fun. Uh, towards the end of the second, he did some damage to the right eye of Fiziev. I think with uppercuts. Um, one of the one of the tools we kind of knew Gagey would have here is anytime uh, Fiziev would get in close, Gagey's is really good about grabbing a single collar tie and uppercuts with the other hand. He's really good at that, among other things. But he he started landing those, and it kind of messed up that eye a little bit. And by the time the third round comes around. Uh Gagey, first 20 or so seconds of that third round though, Faziv comes out, he lands a couple of really nice right hand actually. Kind of staggers Gagey for a second, but he recomposes and just goes to town. Structurally, and I mean like how you structure a fight. I said this when he fought Tony Ferguson. It hadn't really come up until this fight again, but Gagey fights backwards, and it's really interesting to watch when you again when you approach the structure of a fight. like what are you supposed to do when you go out there to fight, right? There's a handful of things you want to work first because it lays the groundwork for the rest of your game. Usually, this is stuff like the jab, the leg kick, be that inside or outside. You know, if you want to use front kicks, you establish the front kick. You know, there's just, these are building blocks. They're foundational. And the jab is kind of the big one. Like, your game builds off of your jab. Well, Gagey's jab didn't show up until the third round. And when it did, it dictated everything. And it makes me, again, it just kind of makes me wonder. Like, this is clearly a choice. And some of it's because he hits really hard. But normally you chisel away... At point, like if you want to, how do we visualize this? Okay, if you're like, if you're trying to, like, cut down a tree, like this is a fairly common example, right? What do you do first? First thing you have to do, you strip the bark, usually. Then you very specifically figure out where you want your notches placed, how do you want it to fall. You chip. You chip away, chip away, chip away, to kind of get until you know where you're going. Then you start bringing the heavier blows. That's how most fighting is structured. You establish a couple of weapons that build foundations, build reactions... Establish distance or control and timing, and then you tweak that with your more powerful shots. Well, Gagey does the opposite. He clubs you for a round and a half, and then gets real specific and real surgical. At least he did here. And it's really interesting. It's more like, again, less like cutting down a tree, and more like how you would carve a sculpture right how do you if you got a slab of marble and you're going to carve something out of it you don't start small you start by taking giant chunks out of it where you know they're not needed you big chunk big chunk big chunk big chunk and then you do refined work at the end that's how gagey fights he takes these giant chunks out of you and then gets then gets specific, then gets detailed. And, look, getting jabbed is no fun any time. But most of the time it's like we establish it first, and then we build off of it. It must be disorienting in a way that's very difficult to fathom to have that go the other way. To already be beat up and hurt. And I don't mean like almost finished hurt, but just... You're beat up. You've been hit, your constitution's been tested your lungs are sucking, your legs beat up, and you've been hit by this maniac. And then, when you're used to these powerful shots, this lancing jab just starts spearing you in the face over and over and over again. I mean, what finished Tony Ferguson? It wasn't one of the haymakers, and he landed those. He cracked him with rights and left hooks or occasionally shifting left overhands depending on their positioning. Gagey hit Tony with those over and over and over again. What finally did it. it was a couple of nice jabs that just there was too much damage accumulated. Like maybe maybe another way to look at it is like this. If you're trying to overload a structure, most fighters start with smaller stuff and then drop in heavier loads afterwards, right you you start looking for you approach you know, say you're trying to like break a bridge I mean this is a stupid analogy, but go with me here. You find a couple of points that here's where we can overload it. And you find this by saying, okay, we drop some stuff here, some stuff here, little stuff. Find a few points and then heavier stuff, heavier stuff, heavier stuff, heavier stuff, heavier stuff, heavier stuff and you hope the bridge breaks. And Gagey's, again, the opposite. He starts with the heavy stuff, like, all right, let's just dump boulders onto this thing. And afterwards, when the dust settles, oh, cracks here here and here then i then he precisely goes to finish the job again it's it's backwards from how most fighting is done but it's really interesting because it works and it's not a bad way to go about it when you think about it it's just it's just contrary to how you're generally taught which is another which is again my most rules in fighting are not actually rules you you learn the basics and you learn the fundamentals so that you can know when and how to break them. And if you if breaking them means inverting them, sometimes that's very, very successful. Um, yeah, again, I mentioned the hand speed of Fazeev, which was nuts. Something interesting about Gagey struck me here. It's not just his timing, which is a little bit awkward. Like, he takes, like, half beats of pause before he counterattacks. Clearly doesn't want to get caught in, like, 50-50 exchanges. But... While Gagey doesn't have necessarily the hand speed of Fazeev, I don't know, I noticed this about him this time around. Faziv's punches were like fast start to finish. Gagey's punches don't always start fast, but he accelerates them. With it incredibly quickly and i think that's that's honestly why he found why he caught a lot of people you expect things to happen at a certain again certain timing a certain pacing and Gagey will like wait half a second it's less than half a second but i'm using a second for the sake of conversation waits like half a second longer than most people do to throw a counter then it starts at a slower speed before violently accelerating through to the end of it, the the individual punch. Not all the time, but some of his counters, in particular that chopping right hand he does, I really noticed it this time, starts a little slower, just starts a hair slower, and it throws the other guy off just enough that when it comes through, and it comes through very, very hard, because again, it accelerates insanely fast. Uh... Interesting little wrinkle I noticed there this time around. Um, good. This was your fight of the night. Easily. All right, really good. Uh, Fazeev hung in there in some really important ways. Like, I think this will wind up being a, a growth experience for him. He never went down. I don't think he ever got knocked down. Um, so I, I think I stopped myself after the second round. The third round of this, again, Fazeev good first, like 30 seconds. After that, those uppercuts from Gagey start landing more and more. And that right eye of Fazeev gets really messed up. And that jab is just skewering him. Um, Once Gagey got a feel for the timing, and I don't mean the punching timing of Fazeev. I mean his his movement timing. He was constantly, constantly hitting him mid-step. Heck of a thing. Uh, Again, another classic Gagey fight. Hats off to him. After the fight, he said he wants one more run at the belt, but he thinks he's nearing the end. Um, which is probably about right. I mean, he's not exactly young. He's, yeah, he's 34. Uh, he'll be 35. So he's a young 34. He'll be 35 in November. But he's been in some wars, man. And he's been, you know, training since he was eight. He started wrestling when he was very young. He's probably about ready to be done, but he wants to make one more run towards the belt. Fair enough. I mean, the win here should validate that that's at least... a It's not a crazy idea. Uh, but, you know, we're probably in the last, like, four-ish just-engagey fights that we're going to get. And it's sad, because we're going to miss him when he's gone. He is... In the build-up to this, he called himself the most exciting fighter in UFC history, and I am not going to argue with him on that one. Not one iota. He has 11 bonuses in 11 fights. Now, some of those are doubled. Sometimes he got performance he got like Fight of the night and a performance bonus, because there's some individual fights that weren't bonused, but in total, he averages to a bonus a fight. still, and he, and he got one here. 11 bonuses, and he's only made... Fi- like, that's $550,000. Like, Not to beat the fighter drum, pe- fighter pay drum again, but that's just kind of sad. He's worth a lot more than that. Uh, he- just in case you gonna- can't miss fighter. Gonna be sorry when he's gone. We're gonna miss him. The sport will miss him when he retires. Uh, for Fazeev, took a step up. Took a big step up. He acquitted himself well. Uh, he'll probably have to, you know... Take a slight step back, but he's still a... He proved he's a very, very good lightweight. I wouldn't want to be his rebound fight. I, Whoever fights him next, man, you're going to have... That's going to be a rough night for you. It's going to be a real rough night. Uh, next up, Gunnar Nelson defeated Brian Barbarina via armbar, 451 to the first. This is our only finish of the main card. This was what you'd expect. Um... I picked Barbarina because of the layoff to Nelson, but, like, Gunnar stylistically is a bad fight for Barbarina. Nelson, you know, did his little bouncy thing, ate a couple of punches, got a clinch, ate a few elbows, got a takedown. Gunnar Nelson's top control is very good. Um, pass guard. Landed some elbows. His ground and pound looked better here than it has in the past. Like If, if I had a big takeaway for Nelson, improved ground and pound here, for sure. Uh, and passes without too much difficulty, Tacks the arm, gets it, you know, I mean, Gunner's a good fighter, but he's so inactive that I don't think he actually factors in the, into the division all that much. Uh, women's flyweight, got this one wrong. I did not have a good night picks-wise, by the way, just for the record. I think I got everything on the main card wrong. Um, Jennifer Maya defeats Casey O'Neill via unanimous decision, 30 27, and then two 29 28s. Um, O'Neill just really struggled here. Maya, a lot of movement, um, a lot of combination work. I mean, if you watch the first round, you'll see the whole fight. O'Neill could never really tie up, could never get a takedown. She landed a couple of good punches along the way, but. Every punch that O'Neal threw, Maya threw like three or four. Um What was the stat line here real fast? Uh yeah, Maya Yeah, Maya threw three hundred and fifty five to the two hundred and sixty four of O'Neal. I go by round actually. Um, yeah, just, Maya, just a little bit better, I mean, better movement, uh, better combination work, just not a whole lot to talk about here. You know, I mentioned this in the preview, actually, you know, this does feel kind of like the fight that maybe, you know, O'Neal, the young, talented, up-and-coming fighter takes a step up and winds up, uh. It winds up biting off a little bit more than they're ready to chew. That, that's how that's played out. Uh, similar sentiment. Middleweight. Marvin Vittori defeated Roman DeLidze via unanimous decision. 2-29, 28 in a ridiculous 30-27. DeLidze had the first round. Okay, let's be very clear about that. Um, Vittori, he's with a different camp. He was with Kings MMA for a while, I believe. He fights out of Extreme Couture now. Or at least with Dewey Cooper, who... Occasionally, moonlights there. Let's see if that's listed actually where he fights out of. Uh, yeah, Extreme Couture. Um, he looked good. He actually looked very solid here. Better cage craft. Nasty leg kicks. Um, he got caught a couple of times in the first by Dalidze, who was. Dude, Dalidze was Terminator mode here. Just walking forward, swinging big power. And commentary mentioned it, one of the few salient points Daniel Cormier made, for the record, brief aside. Commentary last night, not great. Not great. Not the best night at the office for either Michael Bisping or Daniel Cormier. That's a pairing that's worked better in the past. Here, not so much. Um, There was one earlier fight where they were talking about, I think it was Luana Carolina coming back to this arena to fight because her last fight was in this arena and she got violently knocked out by Molly McCann. And this that brief discussion, you know, about the psychological impact of a violent knockout like that, led Daniel Cormier to go, "Yeah, I can't go to Anaheim because I lost two of my tit, I lost like my titles there more than once. Because um, that was where." What was that, the second fight with John... Let me look this up, because I think it was the second fight with John Jones, and I want to say the second fight with Stipe, we're both... Uh, we're both in Anaheim. Can look this up real fast. Yeah, the Stipe fight, UFC 254, and then, yeah, the second fight with John when he got stopped. Um... Was also in Anaheim, so he said, like I can't go to you know I can't go to Disneyland because it's in Anaheim and I have such bad memories of there. And this led Michael Bisping to go, yeah, I hate Disneyland, which he said, I, and his logic being, well, and he told this story, well, I live close enough that I hear the fireworks that set off every night and it scares my dog half to death, and so I can't deal with it, and like, buddy. This is a broadcast... This is a professional broadcast. You ain't just... You have to shoot in the breeze here. This is the kind of stuff that when people say... You guys are just podcasting and not broadcasting... That they mean. Um, so... And Cormier had some other... Cormier had some... Uh, Bisping had another thing where I couldn't remember one of the fighters' names. Just really struggled with that. Cormier just... Cormier had some rough spots. Um... Just not the best night for those two. Just not the best night. Uh, anyway. Uh, point there being, one of the points that Cormier made was, if you're Roman DeLidze, you start fighting guys at the top level, they, they're they good enough, and there's a few intangibles, that they don't react the way lower-ranked fighters do. Um, oh, I remember what it was that Cormier said that annoyed me. There was a tweet that was shown, it was from Teddy Atlas, before the main event. Because Atlas expressed the sentiment on Twitter that the old-time boxing trainers used to say that just winning the title makes you 30% better. Which is a, again, that's an old-school boxing sentiment. And um, John Anik then, because this is on the screen, so he acknowledged it, and then says, you know... So is that true? And Cormier says, man, if Leon Edwards is 30% better, you know, that's a rough night for... Usman doesn't actually answer the question. I don't know if he misheard or whatnot, but Bisping actually does answer it and goes, you know, sometimes it's just the confidence. You know, you have the validation and the belief in yourself that you are the champion of the world, and that can boost your performance in ways that are not replicable without it, which is the actual sentiment in play. But, you know, just, again, not a great night. Um, but, you know, he's mentioned, Cormier, that... DeLitsé was hitting Marvin Vittori with some of the shots that would make other fighters panic or drop. And you can't rely on some of those same things and same reactions at this level. And that's very true. Um, I mean, if your plan is to knock out Marvin Vittori, I got bad news for you. This guy fought eight rounds with Israel Adesanya. I don't think he ever got dropped. I don't think he ever got seriously hurt. Might have been hurt once or twice, but like not seriously hurt. He fought five rounds with Paulo Costa and never went down. Fought five rounds with Robert Whitaker and never got dropped. If your game plan is I'm going to drop this guy and hurt him, I got that's just not gonna work. Like this dude just has a cinder block for a head. It's just not going anywhere. Uh, again, really, this was a more mature performance out of Vittori. Smart movement, smart weapon choice. Kept finding openings in the defense of DeLidze. And again, second and third round, it really comes alive. Uh, so good good performance from him. Good win. Uh, yeah, solid there. So that was your main card. Again, some ups and downs. Top two fights absolutely delivered. As for the rest of this card, this 15-fight card, you ought to know how I feel about that. Uh, Jack Shore defeats Makwan Amir Connie via rear naked choke. 427 of the second. Um, this was Shore coming up from Bantamweight. Apparently the weight cuts were getting too much for him, and hey, fair play. Uh, decent enough first round out of Amir Khan, but he gassed. And I'm going to quote Jack Slack here. Being a featherweight without cardio is roughly akin to being a heavyweight without punching power. Not wrong. Just Amir Khani fades badly. Shore beats him up in the second, gets him down, chokes him out. Solid performance for sure to debut at featherweight. Lightweight Chris Duncan defeats Omar Morales via, I mentioned this already, split decision. Two twenty nine twenty-eight for Duncan, that was my scorecard. And then a 30-27 for Morales, which is crap. Um, here's the thing. Duncan didn't want to stand with Morales. He got hurt in the first. And again, Morales wins the first round. Second round, Duncan just starts forcing takedowns and clinch positions and... He doesn't do a whole lot with it. And so you might be tempted to say, well, then shouldn't any damage that Morales does, you know, counteract that? Morales didn't do enough outside of those er areas. Like, if you want to make. uh, If you want to talk about how the scoring criteria is weighted, okay. You do, however, have to have done. Enough in the more heavily weighted criteria's areas to then say, I get to ignore the fact that I was controlled. Right. He didn't not a great fight. Uh, lightweight. Ooh, this one. Yanel Ashmooz defeated Sam Patterson via brutal knockout punches is of to the first. Uh, the height, the size disparity here was pretty legit. Patterson was like five inches taller. I think just big. Ashmoos catches a body kick, lands a right hand to the chest that more just off-balances Patterson, and then crushes him with a left hook as he's falling down. I mean, he's on autopilot at this point, badly hurt. Ashmoose jumps into Mount and just unloads with punches. Late stoppage here. Like, it's unfortunately Late. At the same time, for a while, Patterson is actually still moving enough that makes you go, okay, he's still here. But, again, I feel that there's a degree to which if he had pulled, if Mark Goddard, who was the ref, had jumped in earlier, there might have been people crying early stoppage. It's unfortunate. It's wound up being a little late. Um, knocks him out cold, does, uh, does Ash moves. And Patterson, man, he's trying to, like, referee stops the fight, like, gets Ashmoos, Ashmus stops, like, there's nothing dirty here. He goes over to celebrate, and, like, Mark Goddard is there kind of over Patterson, like, okay, stay down, you're okay. Patterson's, like, trying to put in the De La Heva hook. <laughs> like, he's slow motion grappling. He is, he was so out of it, man. Like they kind of, he kind of slowly gets to his feet, and they're trying like, no, sit down, stay down. You, his coaches come over, and they're trying to explain, no, the fight's over. Like he was, he spent like thirty seconds thinking he was still on the fight, not arguing that the fight should still be going, thinking the fight was still going. Like he was messed up. Um, okay, weird fight here, at flyweight, Mohammed Mikhaev defeats Jafael Filio via neck crank, four thirty-two of the third. Uh, still, man, like, he's young, and I get that there's time to work these issues out, so when I point out these issues, this is not me going, he sucks. His ground and pound is still non-existent. I think his cardio's a problem. Um, he basically did nothing the second round. Um, he's not great about his entries, like, there's a lot good about his game, but because what's good is so very good, the rest of it does stand out as being not good. Uh, he hunts for finishes, though. I give him that, man. He's pulled off some third round, some late third-round subs in fights that he might have been on his way to winning anyway, and just, like, I'm not coasting, so... I give him credit in that one, respect, but... Um, he's going to be pushing to get to a level that he is not ready for. And... He's going to run into that ceiling, and that's going to go badly for him at this point. Um, interesting bit here. Third round, Mikhaev gets a takedown at one point. Filio inverts for a knee bar, and he gets it. Fully locked in knee bar. Hyperextends the knee. Mikhaev won't tap. Never taps. Like, he's hurt. His, um, what was it? Left or his right. Uh, look that up real fast. Uh, left. Yeah, his left knee. There's pictures of it. You can see it. Like, the knee does not bend that way. He won't tap. Uh, gets a, um, is able to escape. Gets on top. You can see how much pain he's in. Um, and he's able to get the back, get the choke, get the crank late. And credit to him, man. Like I'm not taking anything away from his toughness, but he got up limping badly. Um he might need surgery on that knee. Like I'm not doing a bit here. Like that might be wrecked. So I don't know, man. He's still a he's still a very bright prospect, but I wonder I get the feeling he's going to have to come back down to Earth the hard way before he'll start fixing some of these holes. And he is not unique in that sense. Not knocking him. Like, this is an observation. A lot of people have had that happen. A lot of people will have that happen to him. That is just a mentality. And sometimes that mentality, the mentality that leads to this, is necessary for your success. So, you know. It kind of is what it is sometimes with some people. They just... They are Icarus until they fly too close to the sun. And when they come back down to Earth, it's violent, especially in combat sports. And then when you rebuild, you know, sometimes the confidence never comes back most of the time, at least most of the observable time. It comes back and they take it as a learning lesson. And he's probably going to have to have at least one of those. That's just kind of the hunch I get at this point. So we'll wait to see, you know, and we'll keep you updated if he needs surgery or whatnot, and my hunch is he does. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Further prelims, Lerone Murphy defeated Gabriel Santos via split decision, 29-28 2928, either way is fine. Darn good fight, actually. Um, Murphy looked pretty good, but Santos held his own. I think he just came out of the gate a little too hot, couldn't quite maintain his momentum. Um, but Murphy, pretty viable. Murphy's a very viable featherweight. And Santos hung in there with him. So, good little fight here. In fact, if not for Gaethje and Fazeev, this might have been my fight of the night. Uh, middleweights, Christian Leroy Duncan defeated Dusko Todorovic via knee injury, 152 of the second. Um, Duncan looked pretty good. Very physical guy. He was landing some side kicks, leg kicks. They tied up. And they're just, like, spinning and jockeying for position in the clinch. They're not even against the fence. They're in open space, and Todorovic just kind of steps wrong at a weird spot. There's a little bit too much torque, and he might have had some pre-existing partial tear. Something in his right knee just gives out. He drops immediately. Um, you can Again, there's enough replay to kind of see, like, oh, nope, that's that's not good. I imagine it's an ACL. It's usually what that is when it kind of when you see the knee kind of you see a, like a tense, a dis, a push too far and then a pop back. That's that's yeah, that's kind of the ACL thing. That's your knee gets too far, gets too far, the ACL tears. You go a hair further because now it's torn, and then the other stuff overcompensates and kind of pulls things back into place. Uh, so, hopefully, Todorovic is able to repair... to get better. Unfortunate, just... it sucks. Uh, Duncan looked okay for what we did see, though. Uh, Jake Hadley defeated Malcolm Gordon via TKO, 101 of the first. Nasty body shots from Hadley. Um, Gordon missed weight. And apparently, he was told to stop cutting weight by the doctors. He was damaging his internal organs with his weight cut, so... Might be time to think about bantamweight. Um... Hadley fighting Southpaw. Just any time Gordon was coming in, he was leaning a little bit forward, especially on the jab. Hadley just countering with a little bit of a one and then a left uppercut to the body. Hit him with it once early, didn't like it. Second time, drops him. Uh, nice stuff from Hadley. Women's flyweight, Joanne Wood defeated Luana Carolina via split decision. There was a 29-28 each way and then a 30-27 for Wood. 30-27 is a little odd, but a no- there was no like blowout round for anyone, so I can live with it. Um, wait a minute, could I, like, no, no, the second round really should have gone to Carolina. Third round, um, Carolina was doing good work, not blowout work, but pretty good work, and then at the last bit, Joanne Wood, just like, all right, fine, screw it, went Terminator. Uh, fun little fight, fun little fight here. Uh, lightweights, Jai Herbert defeated Ludovic Klein, sorry, that went to a majority draw. There was a 29-27 for Herbert and then two 28-28s. There was a point deduction to Herbert for for his second groin strike of the first round that happened about 40-ish seconds after the first one. And I I understand the ref's point here. The first groin strike was pretty bad. The second one, and Michael Bisbee got up in arms over this, there was a knee that Chai Herbert threw, and if you look at the, if you look at things straight on, it looks like it goes into the hip, which is legal. If you look from a slightly different angle, you'll see the problem: it hits the cup on its way to the hip, and that's where the issue comes in. And couple that with the earlier, with the earlier shot to the groin, and it was the refs like, okay, we've. You can't keep doing this, man. And when they happen, Daniel Cormier made an interesting point. When they happen that close together, that tends to influence the referee's uh, decision about this. And he's right. Uh, If you foul a couple of times in rapid succession, you're going to get a harsher penalty. Um, The draw was, I think, the correct score. Uh, Decent enough little fight. Jai Herbert is a very good fighter. It's unfortunate that that happened, but control your weapons better that's the long and the short of that and kicking everything off uh veronica hardy defeated juliana miller of unanimous decision 3027 across the boards um juliana miller coming off of that season of the ultimate fighter where she won she's a good grappler but she looked like a very green fighter here and she i mean to her credit like she is she's less than 10 fights into her career Uh, She couldn't get close. She couldn't tie up. Hardy just constantly peppering her with strikes, circling, not getting tied up, not getting sucked in. Really, really, this was the best performance from Veronica Hardy in her UFC career. Uh, If you look for some of her earlier fights, she used to be Veronica Macedo before she married Dan Hardy, UFC uh, former UFC title challenger. It's a really good performance out of her. Really good one. I mean, again, not the best fight in the world, but uh, easily her best performance, I would say. Easily, she looked real good. That, ladies and gentlemen, was the event. Your bonuses: fight of the night, I mentioned Justin Gaethje and Rafael Fiziev, no issues. Performances of the night went to Gunnar Nelson and Jake Hadley. Jano Ashmuz got screwed here. I would give his performance. I would have given him over Hadley I'd, or Nelson, for that matter. I thought what he did was more impressive than either of those, so. Hopefully he got some kind of discretionary bonus, but. uh, Yeah, he he scored the only, like, clean knockout of the whole card. (laughs) Uh, Anywho. But, you know, Dana doesn't like. I think Patterson came off the contender series, and Dana doesn't like when his guys get roasted like that, so. Uh, that, yeah, that was the card. If you want my full coverage as well, uh, my full live report is up in, four, uh, in the MMA Zone of dot maniacom So give that a look if you're so inclined. Always appreciate it. Uh, anything you guys are able to do to support my work, it means a lot to me. You can get my live round-by-round scoring clips of most of the finishes. Uh, yeah, it's up there, so give it a read if you want. Thank you very much. All right, we move on. This coming Saturday, UFC on ESPN 43. They are at the AT&T Center in San Antonio, Texas. The only fight I'm going to devote a lot of time to here is our main event. Marlon Chito Vera and Corey Sandhagen. Oh, hook this into my veins, baby. This is good. So, Sandhagen displayed a lot of skill. High motor, accurate striker, um, kind of a speed chess grappler a uh, little bit of a wild man. Not not too wild, but doesn't mind doing his spinning stuff, great body attacks. Frankly, I thought he beat TJ Dillashaw when they fought in 2001 uh 21 rather. I thought he won that fight. Did not think he beat Piotr Jan, but he put in a good fight against Jan. Coming off a win over Song Yadong, he um that fight was stopped between rounds 4 and 5. There was a he opened up a gnarly cut on Song and that fight deserved to be stopped. That was a bad one. Good about fighting at different ranges, kicks, punches. If he can't dissuade you with power, he's good about throwing elbows. That's what he did to Song. Song wasn't going to stop coming forward. So, Sandhagen just started throwing elbows whenever they closed distance and cut him up. Like he cut him up bad. Yeah, there was a cut in there where like one of his eyes was swelling pretty badly. Like it was He did a number on Song. Really good about all that. Seen him fight five rounds, keep a high pace the whole time. On the other side, we have Marlon Vera, who does not keep an especially high pace. He keeps a good bantamweight pace, but he's not nuts. However, Marlon Vera is one of the harder strikers at bantamweight. If you look at his fight with Rob Font. Uh, that was his, mo- that's his most, no, he most recently fought Dominic Cruz and knocked him out with a head kick which depressed me as a cruise fan but what are you going to do um if you look at Vera he tends to get outstruck he outstruck Davy Grant but if you look at all let me go through the last his last few fights here so he got out he technically outstruck Jose Aldo okay that's only significant that Aldo ended up out wrestling him and getting a lot of back control. Um, he outstruck Sean O'Malley. Let's see. Okay, so he outstruck Davy Grant by a little over 20 strikes. He got outstruck by Frankie Edgar. Uh, again, 88 for Vera, 94 for Edgar. Got outstruck by him. Didn't matter. He knocked him out with a front kick. But he got taken down like. Edgar had some moments in that fight. It was a, in fact, he was winning. Was he winning? Might have been even going into the third, when Vera just, you know, found his moment, his opportunity for violence. Against Rob Font, um, Rob Font landed throughout the course of their fight. Was five round. Rob Font landed 271 strikes. Vera only landed 159. Font landed hundred, over 100 more strikes. And there was never a doubt that Marlon Vera won that fight because he did more damage. He dropped Font. He hit harder. Against Dominic Cruz, he got outstruck by about 30 strikes. Cruz landed 92. Uh, but Vera, only on 61 strikes... Got the got a couple of knockdowns and then the fourth round knockout. This is a guy who he he gets outstruck, man. He falls behind numerically, but he finds violence. This is a man who is comfortable with violence, uh, and that's a tough thing to deal with. This is a darn good fight. I expect Sandhagen to outwork him. For big chunks of it. And I expect Vera to bring more firepower. The, the only real question is... Does Vera find a finish... Or does he lose a decision... Before he can find it? That's kind of how this plays out. And I don't know exactly. Um... My hunch is to pick Sandhagen. Because... I think he's generally a bit more skilled. I think he's got enough endurance and durability to deal with what Vera has coming back at him. And I don't know that Vera can keep the pace that Sandhagen will force. However... It's entirely feasible for Sandhagen to be trying all this and to get tagged... With either hard punches, some uh, a kick that really off balances him or hurts him, you know, just Vera, Vera puts damage on you, man. Marlon Vera is a damaging fighter, and you have to be cognizant of that. I think I am gonna go with Sandhagen, but uh, not by much, man not going to be surprised at all if Vera pulls this one out. Not at all. Vera's a very very good fighter. He's very well schooled and like I said, man, he's good about finding damage. He's just good about it. And that's a that is a that is a rare skill to have a fighter who is good about damaging his opponent. That's that's something you don't see very often. So I give him a ton of credit. He could very well win this fight. In fact, longer fights might favor him more because it's just more time for him to find opportunities to hurt you. So, very much looking forward to this main event. I am going to lean Sandhagen, but... Oof. Uh, winner here, definitely going to be in the title picture. Definitely. The rest of this should be faster. So, co-main event. Women's bantamweight. Holly Holm and Yana Santos. This is the former Yana Kunitskaya. She and Tiago Santos got married recently. So, congratulations to the two of them. Um, Yana got stopped by Irina Aldana her last time out. Now, Holm's a little bit long in the tooth at this point. But... I imagine she's still got enough skills to to handle this. That's kind of my hunch. Uh, women's flyweight: Andrea Lee and Macy Barber. Um, I like a lot of Andrea Lee's skills, but she's had some rough setbacks too. I mean, she's she dropped a couple of split decisions that I I thought she should have won. I kind of thought she beat Joanne Calderwood. Joanne Wood now, excuse me. Kind of thought she won that one. I definitely thought she beat Lauren Murphy. Uh definitely thought she won that one. Coming off a loss to Viviani Rujo, It was a fairly clean loss. Um, whereas you've got Barber. are <laughs> yeah, my favorite thing coming out of uh, the last fight that Erin Blanchfield had when she beat um, Jessica Andrade. My favorite sentiment that came out of that was, you know, Aaron Blanchfield is who Macy Barber tried to be. Like, Macy Barber came onto the scene. I'm going to be the youngest champion ever. I'm, you know, young and I'm dynamic and I'm going to run over everyone. And then she didn't. Whereas Aaron Blanchfield is doing all the things Macy Barber said she was going to do. Um, Barber's on a decent enough three-fight winning streak. I kind of thought she lost the Maverick fight, but she won the her last two fairly. This is probably Barber, but I don't know. it's probably Barber. I mean, Lee has a lot of good tools, but she never quite put everything together. So I, I think I'll go with Barber, but I don't know. Uh, middleweight, Chidi and Jikwani and Albert Durayev. Double check Durayev here real fast. Because Chidi is coming off of that loss to Robocop Gregory Rodriguez. That was a that was a pretty crazy fight. Wait, is that fight still on? Sorry, there's another fight listed here for the main card. I want to make sure it's. Um. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That might just be a weirdness. On never mind. Uh. So Duraev is what 15 and four. 1-1 one one in the UFC. Coming off that loss to Joaquin Buckley. Oh yeah, his eye got swollen completely shut. They're in a pretty decent fight, but yeah, that, that eye was shut. This feels a little bit like a bounce back for Injakawani, Who might have some cardio issues, but boy does he have firepower. Uh, he, yeah, he's got serious firepower. So, probably go with Njikwani there. Um, I, I think this f- the flyweight fight between Alex Perez and Manel Kopp will be on the main card. I would certainly hope it's on the main card, anyway. Um, Perez, he's on a pretty... He's on a rough streak, actually. Lo- um, he lost a title shot in 2020 to Davison Figueiredo. Then, didn't fight again until July of 2022, when he got submitted by Alexandre Pantoja. That's not exactly an active schedule you're keeping, buddy. Um. Anyway, he's fighting, as the yeah, aforementioned Manel Kopp. Kopp on a three-fight winning streak with wins over Ode Osborne, Jaga Zhumagulov, and David Vorak. I'm feeling Kopp here a little bit. Might be wrong about that, but I'm feeling Kopp. I think he's kind of going up in the world. Uh, all right, let's see. The rest of this should be a little bit faster. Uh, Daniel Pineda and Tucker Lutz. This is featherweights. Pineda. Uh, several no contests in his past, including uh, his most recent fight in the UFC. He is 1-1 one and one in the UFC with a no contest. Lutz, I want to say is 0-1 in the UFC. Might be 1-1. One and one. He is 12-2. and two. Yeah, he's one and one, coming off of a loss to Pat Sabatini. Tough draw there. Um, I'm okay picking lots here. Uh, let's see. We have Steven Peterson, who I'm not entirely sure should be in the UFC. Uh, coming off of that loss to Julian Arosa. I mean, he had a couple. He's got a couple of wins here and there, but I just I question again whether or not he's actually a UFC caliber fighter. Um, he is fighting Lucas Alexander, who is making his UFC debut. Nope, lost his UFC debut last year to Joe Anderson Brito. I don't know. I, just, I don't think I picked Steven Peterson to win most fights. I guess I'll go with Alexander, but I wouldn't bet on it. I would not bet on this fight. See, Trevin Giles and Preston Parsons. These are welterweights. Mr. Giles. Uh, has he done... Used to be middleweight? He's 1-1 one one since dropping to Welterweight, coming off a win over Louis Cosey, was just not that good. We got beat by Michael Morales before that. It was actually Dracus Duplessis who knocked him out of middleweight. Um, Parsons. Let's have a look at you, sir. 10 and 3 one and one in the UFC. Beat Evan Elder. Lost to Daniel Rodriguez. Hmm. Had a pretty good winning streak going before that. Uh. This is probably Giles. Yeah, I think I'll go with Giles, but again, not too sold on that. Flyweights. CJ Vergara and Daniel Da Silva. Uh, Vergara. See, one and two in the UFC. Losses to Ode Osborne and Tatsuro Tyra. <laughs> oh, Tyra's good, man. Uh those two sandwich uh, a win over Clenson Rodriguez. Split decision though. I think we're picking Daniel da Silva here. Who is you know, maybe not. 0 oh and three in the UFC. Jeez. Losses to Jeff Molina, Francisco Figueroa, Victor Altamarino. Uh excuse me, Altamariano. Rough for both of them. Oh, Jeff Molina. Do I want to uh put it on my rundown. You know, let me take just half a second here. So, Jeff Molina was the unfortunate victim of basically doxing and some not strictly speaking doxing. Um but Molina was uh the victim of what do they call it, like revenge porn? a gentleman he'd been with posted, without his consent or knowledge, video of them being intimate on the internet. So, Melina had to then come out publicly as bisexual. Now, for the record, I don't care. Personally. At all. um, About his sexual preferences. Just none. Uh, But... To whoever did this to him, like, screw you. Like, this is just a miserable thing to do to somebody. It, it's their business. You know, look, do I have my worldview and my, like, personal... Uh, my religious theology about stuff? Yeah, I do. But, I mean, you're not here to listen to me preach, and I'm not here to preach to you. It's not really relevant. This is mostly to say... You know, again, I I don't really care I, at all. You know, dudes just living his life. So, he is the first, however. He is the first openly bisexual slash gay slash whatever alphabet doohickey you want to attach to it uh, in the UFC. First male. There's a lot of a lot of lesbians. Um, so l- let me let me start by saying I hope nothing that I'm about to describe happens to him. But because I know the world, um, there's no reason this should affect anything. He's a good flyweight, rising contender. That should be the long and the short of it. It's not going to be. It should be, but it won't. Uh, But I I think it was Angela Hill who I saw, like, you know, as many, who said, like, as many gay women as we have, you'd think this wouldn't be an issue, but there's, I've long been curious about whether or not there's, uh, I don't want to go too deep into this tangent, so I'll be brief. I'm curious about the connection between elements of our individual like biochemistry and sexual orientations. Wouldn't shock me to learn that a majority of lesbians in particular have increased levels of testosterone. Again, I don't know this. I'm just saying I'm I'm saying it wouldn't surprise me. And again, I don't care. We shouldn't be dealing with Barring like serious issues, you shouldn't be messing with people's chemical makeups anyway. We're all different in that respect, and it's pointless trying to mess with it. But increased levels of testosterone leading to increased levels of aggression, like leading to more women, leading to a slightly greater percentage of peop of you know, lesbian lesbians being more interested in combat sports. Like again, we're we're talking like how do some of these things line up statistically, leading to how they manifest themselves. And once again, I don't actually care. I'm talking about this because it was in the news very briefly. So I wouldn't—I'd so be curious about that. But here's the big thing about this, and this might seem a little gross, so I apologize. But the majority of MMA fans are men, the, which is not gross, by the way. Like, there's nothing wrong with masculinity or being a man. The majority of those I imagine are straight. Because I'm not trying to diminish people who identify differently. The majority of the world is straight. This is just the statistical reality of it. Doesn't diminish you. Doesn't mean you're not, you know, important and there aren't people who love you and care about you and you, but we're talking we're just talking majorities here. We're talking this the raw statistics, okay? and the majority of straight men they this is a weird way to try and phrase this so bear with me straight men understand being attracted to women so they're more okay like they at least understand women being attracted to women because most men don't we like men like each other like, male friendships are important, and they're sadly diminishing, but there's—men don't understand being attracted to men. In fact, it's part of the—it's one of the reasons why we struggle so often with, like, understanding women, quote-unquote, like, because there's some fundamental part of us that's like, well, you're attracted to me. I'd never be attracted to myself, barring a few narcissists out there. So there's, there's like, there's almost, like, a fundamental disconnect in that respect, <laughs> But men are more accepting, generally speaking. Most men are more accepting of women liking women, and there are men liking men because it, it's it, it computes. Oh, you see this? You think this is attractive? I think this is attractive. I understand. And it again it causes like some really weirdness when there were, when you, like you go the other way. It's stupid, and it's. It's bred out of, like, ridiculous insecurity and all this crap. But, it, it, just, like, Angela Hill going, you know, no, like, we don't want to say this. A lot of people don't like saying this, but... Women being attracted to women, and and I know he's bi. So, when I say men being attracted to men, I'm referring, like, more to, like... If you're bisexual, you're attracted to both, so... He is at least partially attracted to men, and I'm not judging him for that. I'm saying most, the vast majority of straight men don't understand that. Again, it just doesn't compute in some ways. One, we can, you know, women being attracted to women is not the same as men being attracted to men. And... 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 There's way too much bulking together of issues that really should be separated in some very important ways that, for the sake of both shorthand and political expediency, are not. And this is one of them. Like, those are not the same thing. And again, I'm not, this is not me saying anything you know, prejudiced or bad about people who are that way. Like Ultimately, this is going to wind up between you and God. And that's absolutely none of my business. I know what behavior I cons- is considered sinful. Heaven knows I've sinned. I am not sitting up here pretending that I am some saint. I also know that final judgment is God's, and I know way too many stories about the bad things that happen to people with enough hubris to pretend they know the mind of God. So I s- no idea what's going to happen to anybody in that respect. Not really. Guidelines, yes. Behaviors that we should follow, Yes. Actual knowledge. Nope. I got nothing. That's Again, that's between you and God ultimately. But he's he's unfortunately going to get a lot of crap. I mean, who's the other um Jordan Levitt. He's actually I believe he's he's LDS as well as that. Um who's by his own description, again, yeah, this is his description, he's a little bit sassy, little bit, you know, effeminate. And for, like, there was a thing that people were like, oh, so he's the first, you know, he's, he's gay. And he's like, no, I'm not gay. I, uh, I'm just me. I have a wife and kids. And the respond like, oh, that doesn't mean you're not gay. And like, okay, that's true. Like you can, you can be gay and like marry a woman and have a family. I, that happens. I'm not trying to say anything otherwise, but like he's saying, I'm not gay. <laughs> and he, like he, Put out a statement that said, you know, man, I took a mountain of agree- of abuse for something that people just thought I was, and you know, it sucks be- as bad as it is being, you know, sort of bullied about something you're not. Being bullied for something you are is probably worse. So, I mean, again, like my, you know, podcast and my voice don't may- maybe don't mean anything here. But if you- on the off chance you're listening to me and you were thinking about making some kind of joke at Jeff Molina's expense, just don't. Be better than that. Please. I mean... did he got... He got flack when he chose to wear pride colors. Again, before he was out. Like This was like last... Whatever pride month is, I don't care. He... The UFC provided the option for fighters to wear like the rainbow... Their name be in like the rainbow decal, right? That coloration. And he chose to. And he actually took some abuse for Like... No reason for that. I mean none even if you disagree and again there's some very real ways that i do there's no reason to be hateful or like angry at him you know there's no reason to heap abuse on someone online just don't it's really not that hard to not make yourself a worse person in that respect really quite easy Uh, anyway soapbox off the soapbox um Back to fight picks. I actually think I am going to go with Vergara there. Like that winless in the UFC thing for De Silva is very troubling. Uh, moving on, lightweights, Manuel Torres and Trey Ogden, Torres. Let's see, he is 13 and 2. One is UFC debut. Got a nice knockout over Frank Camacho actually. That uh, was yeah, closer to a year ago than you'd like, but four fight winning streak overall against Trey Ogden who is through one and one in the UFC rather. Uh lost to Jordan Levitt, beat <laughs> then beat Daniel Zellhuber. Probably going to go with Torres for this one. Uh let's see. Uh flyweights. Vinicius Salvador and Victor, I already mentioned mention this guy, Victor Altamirano. Uh Salvador, El Fenomeno 14 and 4. I wanna say he fought in the UFC. And there was someone someone no no, someone else with that same nickname. Has fought in the UFC. He's been trying to make his debut since August of last year. Had two different fights fall through, both Clipson Rodriguez and Daniel Da Silva. So he's making his debut. Uh whereas Altamirano, he is eleven and two, one and one in the UFC. Lost a tough split decision to Carlos Hernandez in his debut, and then rebounded by beating Daniel De Silva. Um, I hun- I'm gonna lean towards Altamirano here, but that might be a pretty good fight. Uh, we also have at women's bantamweight, uh, Tamares Vidal and Haley Cowan. Vidal, uh, Tratora. This would be the female version of tractor, Because I think it was Michelle Prezeras who was Traktor, and that's tractor. So I'm probably, like, female tractor. Whatever, gendered languages. Which is weird, because, like, English is non-gendered. But, like, if you look at a bunch of the romance languages, I don't know, sorry, this is a stupid tangent, that if I were editing this, I would cut out. But um, It's a thing in, like, French and Spanish, whether or not certain words um carry some of those connotations uh, i mean there's a thing in like isn't there a thing in france whether or not something becomes la or la like la whatever to mean the or le whatever to mean the like they try to keep balance on it or something uh anyway vidal won her ufc debut she beat ramona pasquale november of last year she is on a six fight overall winning streak Whereas Cowan is seven and two. I think she lost her UFC debut, didn't she? No, she won a contender series fight. She was supposed to fight Eileen Perez. That was it. Like I knew her name from somewhere. She was supposed to fight earlier in this year, and that got canceled. Um, I don't know actually. Uh, probably... I think Vidal's a touch more proven, so I'll lean towards her, but... Uh, Cowan might easily surprise people, so, there's that. And I don't think this has a spot in its in the bout order yet, but... Uh, Nate Landwehr and Austin Lingo are supposed to fight. Uh, let's see, Landwehr... Two-fight winning streak. His first in his UFC career. Uh, coming off that... That heck of a fight with David Onama. That was a, that was a darn good fight, actually. Uh, and Austin Lingo is on a two-fight winning streak. He's 2-1 and one in the UFC. I'm going to lean towards uh, Landwehr, assuming this fight goes through here. Might be moved to another card. This was supposed to be Landwehr and Alex Caceres. Caceres were through, Lingo steps in. Going with Landwehr. Um, yeah, that's the card as it currently stands. So Saturday, I will be covering it in the MMA Zone Mania 411 maniacom so please do stop by, say hello, I appreciate it. Alrighty. Let's move on, we're going to get through the news quick. So, Conor McGregor did an interview with Ariel Halwani and was asked about some of his future. Things were discussed, and among them was USADA, and he's still not in the USADA testing pool, and yada yada yada, he made some remarks. USADA responded publicly and said, no, our policy is the same. You have to be, you have to have at least two clean tests and be in the pool for six months. There is an addendum that USADA tacked on, however, of course, you know, the UFC reserves the right to... There are ways for the UFC to grant exceptions, which they're going to in this case. And Connor went on a mild Twitter rampage, which he quickly deleted, but not before it was seen and screenshotted and shared around. Um... Look, man, no one cares. The UFC hired USADA to start doing this. In hindsight, this is very, very clear, mind you. Because they were worried about a steroid scandal affecting the sale price. Remember, USADA comes in when Zufa still owns the UFC. They instituted this as a PR move... You have a little bit of PR insurance, and to prevent a negative, again a negative like media scandal affecting what they were trying to sell the UFC for. And now we're all just saddled with it, and the only one who suffers is the fighters. I'm not going to be sad when USADA goes away. I'm not. I think they've been. I think their implementation has been shoddy. I think they've run over fighters, and. Here's the reality of most anti-doping. And the data bears this out. Here's the problem with the anti-doping argument. It requires you to sh- to sift through a lot of dry academic research. And there's there's not yet been a... So, like, I don't think very highly of Jeff Nowitzki. But he was a vocal, forward-facing proponent of strict doping... Of you know, like anti-doping strategies, and he was good about again PR and about sort of distilling some of his ar- the arguments down into easily digestible bits for the general populace. So, and and the problem is reasonable response to anti-doping zealotry doesn't have that it requires way too much of you to do a bunch of very boring reading. If you've never tried to read academic stuff, unless you're actually interested in the subject matter, it sucks. Because it's written for other academics in a dry, boring state. Like, there's no... There's no sense... And you don't write academic papers this way anyway, but there's no one presenting it in a way that's easily digestible. And here's the problem. Most people don't care. Like, if you ever think about this for just half a second, think about how much information around you constantly you have to deem as irrelevant and discard. How much? How much information about the world do you think is irrelevant and consequently not know? It's actually one of the problems with um, like getting certain things for AI to do. The other is the problem of like perceiving reality, but that's a whole other thing. But having to figure out what doesn't matter is kind of a is kind of a you know a thing that we've all learned how to do. Like you couldn't tell me how ele- how elements of electricity work. You couldn't tell me how a transistor works. You couldn't tell me how a transformer works. You couldn't tell me how power is transferred, other than like the very generalist of senses. You couldn't tell me. You probably couldn't tell me how a car works, how the internal combustion engine works. I couldn't. You're probably not that familiar with the aerodynamics of how airplanes work. I'm not. Again, I know a little bit. I remember some from, like, high school science and whatnot, but I'm not intimately familiar with it. You have your job and, like, one or two hobbies and, like, your family. That's what you know about. I'd bet you, if you got kids, you could tell me more about your kids, hopefully, than some rant... than anti-doping. Consequently, the... whoever, like, whatever position winds up having the best PR... Tends to win the game of public relations because that's all you—that's ca- all you have time to care about. You have to care about things that actually matter to you. So anti-doping stuff doesn't register. Like I care about this, you know, a little bit because it's—I'm somewhat interested in it because I cover this stuff. But you know, how many of you? Uh, he, okay, here's one. Most of you might remember all of the uh, that there were uh, a series of cyclists who dropped dead from strokes. Some of them in fairly close proximity, and the thought was, "Oh, EPO is dec- EPO blood doping. You know, that's what's causing your problems because there's too much, and it makes the you get too many red blood cells, and then it clots into the smaller blood vessels and strokes. And yeah, g- well, never. Okay." You might have, you might remember that story. You might. It was news. You remember that they disproved it? No, they did. None of those cycle, none of those deaths. And bear in mind, Jeff Nowitzki is like still spouting this as evidence. Like, no, none of those were ever borne out. None of those had anything to do with. <laughs> they've, they've examined this stuff now. But no one's talking about it in a forward-facing manner that's easily digestible to the public, so you remember the sound bites from the other side. If somebody fails a drug test, you just think, oh, cheater, and move on. Because that's all it is to you. Well, it's a lot more than that to the fighter. A lot more. So, again, if USADA goes away, I'm not going to shed any tears. So, there's that. So, Connor, Connor and USADA are in a pissing contest. Conor's gonna win. The UFC's gonna give him whatever exemption he needs. They're gonna force through him versus Chandler, whatever. I am um, as intermittently sort of cringeworthy as Michael Chandler can be, and I hate that word, by the way, but it's somewhat appropriate to his presentation. I am, um, you know, if he knocks Connor's block off, that will not be the worst thing that could happen. Um. Okay. I promise not. To, I promise to laugh a little bit at this when it. But Power Slap is leaving TBS. Um, Yeah, I said you know I wasn't going to cover this on anything approximating a regular basis. The UFC forced it down our throats for a while. It was all well and good to do that. No one's forcing you to watch, while the UFC gives it free airtime on their pay-per-views and the television shows. When the UFC, when ahead of their first event, that got moved from pay-per-view to being on Rumble. Which is a alternative to YouTube, and just, again, brief aside. Again, there's like, I know that there's some like wh- political extremists that exist over there, but like the fact that we all use like a handful of websites and services for a bunch of stuff like this, it, it should be more troubling than it is. Like, I like YouTube. I'm not knocking it in that respect. I'm saying the lack of legitimate competition should be troubling that's what I'm saying so a- anywho so I got moved over there and like that same day the, like the, U- the UFC's front page of the website is is not about the upcoming fight it's about the power slap finale like the f- but no no you're not asking us to watch it you're just sending out emails to everyone on your every media member on your mailing list that you have like you there's a bunch of people theoretically blackballed by the UFC that the UFC doesn't like. More than one has talked about this. They were getting power slap emails. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, that did pretty miserable. Um, TBS decided it doesn't want it for a second season. I said it was happy to let the stupid thing live and die on its own, kind of figuring it would die. Its ratings just, again, bad opener. Decent second week. Then it just went down, 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 down. TBS said, okay, go away. Now they will be exclusively on Rumble. They're going to film all the crap over in Abu Dhabi. I mean, I imagine that between the plane... Uh, and it's more, it's going to lean more into the reality show side of things than the theoretical competition. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that between the airfare to get someone from you know, the United States to Abu Dhabi... And the hotel account, like, it costs more to fly them over and put them up than they're going to pay them, would be my bet. Like, those poor guys are paid nothing so just take brain trauma. So I'm laughing at it and Dana White's pathetic display at the media. Like, no, who covered it? None of us wanted to. None of us are interested. The market's not interested. No one's interested, and you're blaming the media for not covering something no one wants to hear about. You're the one who screwed up. You're the one who miscalculated. This is on you. Full stop. Not that hard to figure out. Uh, All right. We've been at this for almost two hours. I think we'll leave it at that. Let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken news-wise. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Alright, nope. So, what do we got this week? In other podcast stuff, we will have... Damn you, Hollywood will have a review of Shazam! Fury of the Gods on Tuesday. That will be myself, Mark Radilich, Alexis Haina, and possibly a run-in from... Uh, I don't remember if it was Chris Bailey or Evan Bevins, but one of those two. So be on the lookout for that. Um, it is the number one movie of the weekend, even though it's it ain't doing great. Uh, It opened soft, even relative to somewhat lowered expectations. Yeah. 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 So full review of that on Tuesday. Uh, Other stuff, AW's Dark Elevation on Wednesday. WWE SmackDown on Friday. UFC event on Saturday. So tune in for any and all of that in the wrestling and MMA zones of 411mania.com. We will be back here next week to review UFC on ESPN 43. And... I believe we will be previewing, yes indeedy we will, wait, no we won't, there is no event scheduled for Saturday, April 1st, so we will just be reviewing next week, we will be back April 2nd to preview UFC 287, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is a heck of a card, That's uh, that's a good card a very good card actually i'm looking at it now that's very good that's main evented by another fight between alex Pereira and israel adesonia co-main event gilbert burns and Jorge masvidal bantamweights rob font adrian Yanez uh kelvin gastelum's last gasp he takes on chris curtis michael kiss and lijing leong ought to be fun um it's a good card it's just a good card So, full preview in two weeks. Back here next week for a review as well as any news of the week. Hope to see you then. Until then, thank you all very, very much as always. I appreciate you more than you know. Thank you. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.